As we go to prayer, just the word, there was a point in Jesus' ministry where as he was teaching, the crowds came, and then the more he taught, they began to sort of wither away. And at one point, and it's a really poignant question, it says, Jesus said to the 12 disciples, you do not want to go away also, do you? You want to go running back after the world after you've come to follow me? And Simon Peter's answer really should be the answer of of our heart this morning as well. Simon Peter answered and said to him, this is John chapter 6, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are, in fact, the Holy One of God. And Lord Jesus, that's what brings us back here today, back together as a church, back together as brothers and sisters in Christ, back into your presence on another Sunday morning, Father. There's lots of of extras, there's lots of, of other things that we value and that we look forward to when we come together as a church family, but Father, ultimately you call us back, your word calls us back, your Holy Spirit calls us back because you alone have the words of life, you have the words of eternal life, you have things to say to us through your word and And by the power of your spirit, Father, that can't be found anywhere else in this world. It never has been able, never never will be able to find anything like what you say to us through your word. And so, Father, we come back before you this morning, and I pray that as we've sung, that that the words we just sang are actually the reality of our heart, that we have come uh, with open hearts, with willing spirits, Father, surrendering and laying down all that other stuff. Father, not because we came to hear a sermon, not because we came to listen to a preacher, not because we came to sing songs that, that maybe we like and, and, and see the, and enjoy the fellowship of our friends. Father, we've come because of Jesus. And it's Jesus whom we desire to have speak to our hearts today. Father, that's why we return to your word. Again, we've just sung, we've been reminded already there's great power, there's great truth. Father, there are great riches in your word, and we just want to dig in and find some of those riches today. Father, that we might know you better, that we might walk with you more closely, that we might serve Christ more willingly. Father, that we might share our faith more freely. But Father, for anything good to happen in these next few minutes that we spend in the preaching and the hearing, listening to your word, Father, we know that it's only going to be accomplished by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, we know he's here. Your word says every time we gather together in Jesus' name, the Spirit of God is with us and among us. But, Father, we invite him to move within us even now. Father, that as we open your word, that that your Holy Spirit will be the one who teaches us, that, that he guide us in truth, Father, because your word is truth and there isn't anything else in this world like it. That your Spirit would come and guard us from error and confusion and misunderstanding. Father, many of us, as we've gone through life, we have been lied to all week long by this world. And we don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be led astray. We don't want to leave with more questions than we came. Father, we ask for your spirit to to move within us, to deliver our hearts from whatever we carried in. Father, some of us brought in an attitude of pride. Some of us brought in a spirit of brokenness. Father, some of us are hard and indifferent. Some of us are ready and willing, Father, but we need you to deal with all of that, to sweep the distractions away to prompt the sins to be confessed so that for the next few minutes that we have together in your word, Father, we might above all else see Jesus. Father, may we see Jesus clearly this morning as we dig into the study of your word. May we see Jesus only this morning as we study your word. And Father, when we leave in just a little while, I pray that we're going to leave with, Lord, having come with open hearts, we'll leave with rejoicing hearts, not because we came to church, but because we sat at the feet of Jesus, the one who loved us enough to lay his life down and then take it up again in victory 
and invite us to share that victory with him. And it is in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. While you're sitting down, we'll let the boys and girls head out for Children's Church. You've got the boys and girls who are the five-year-olds up to about the second graders. They can head right out that door. They'll head upstairs for time in God's Word, which is the very same thing we're going to do here. And I hope you brought a Bible. If you did, I want you to take it out and turn with me to Psalm 119. Would you turn in your Bible this morning to Psalm 119, where this morning our ambition, the goal, at least my goal, and you're entering into it now with me, is to finish uh, this series of studies we've been in since uh, back in January in the Psalms, looking at selected Psalms in the Old Testament for a very specific purpose, and that is to, to see what they can teach us, to see what the Psalms can show us about conversing with God in every season of life. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever you're going through, wherever God has you, however, however wonderful or difficult it may be, the Psalms have counsel. They can teach us to pray. And this morning, we're just going to try to bring all that together. And as you're making your way to Psalm 119, uh, as I will do as well, let me just throw this in. I know it was mentioned earlier um, in the announcements, but this week we have another chance to practice what we've been preaching with our Wednesday night prayer gathering, our fresh encounter prayer gathering. And I always uh, want to encourage you, if you uh, are available, to come and join us on Wednesday night over in the prayer room in the commons. But I especially, and I really do mean that, especially want you Uh, to to consider and to plan on joining us this week. As you may know, this coming Thursday is designated as the annual National Day of Prayer, a day to pray for our nation and for our leaders and ultimately to pray as believers for revival, for people to turn to Jesus Christ. We're just going to get a head start on everybody else and make that our emphasis on Wednesday night. Uh, We're going to pray in keeping with that theme of revival, uh, the National Day of Prayer, praying for our nation. I don't know about you, but in in my lifetime, I can think of few years, few uh, National Days of Prayer where we've needed it more. And, uh, and so this is an important time. I think it's going to be an encouraging time. I want you to invite, to make a priority. I want to invite you to make it a, a priority to join us because I think uh, we will have a good time together praying around God's word and praying for one another and praying for, uh, for the spread of his gospel all around us. That's Wednesday night. This morning, though, as I said, we're in Psalm 119. And I'm going to read the passage, or at least a portion of Psalm 119 in in a minute. But before we do that, I kind of want to take a minute to explain what we are doing here. Because if you were here last Sunday, and I know many of you were, uh, we looked last Sunday in God's Word at Psalm 150, which is, of course, the final psalm in the book, which to my way of thinking, and probably to yours as well, would be a phenomenal way to end the series. We're at the last psalm, we wrap up the series, and then we move on to something else. But we're not doing that today. And the reason we're not, there's nothing deeply spiritual about it. It's it's simply uh, about a month ago, I looked at my schedule and realized I had the series finishing last Sunday, but then I had this Sunday, I hadn't decided what to do with it yet. I'm going to be gone the next couple of Sundays, and I thought I can't start something new, and then immediately hit the pause button and come back to it. And so I'm faced with this dilemma of what do I do on Sunday, May 1st? We've been talking through the Psalms, and, and I don't know where to go next. We did the last one. What are we supposed to do? And so I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and I thought about it, and prayed about it some more. And then I came to this conclusion, this being the, the political season that it is. I said, I will put the power in the hands of the people, is what I'll do. And the way I did that is as follows, as I've shared with you. In fact, I said last uh, Sunday morning, we have a Friday morning men's prayer group here at Maranatha. Six or seven of us, we meet every Friday morning for 30 minutes, and we pray through the Psalms. We've been doing it for years. We, we come together, we sit down, we read a Psalm. That's our catalyst or our starting point for prayer. And I said, listen, I've got five or six guys. They've been praying the Psalms with me for like five years. Certainly, they, I was going to ask one of them to preach. I know where, I, where, where that would have gone right away. 
But I said, why don't I survey them? And so here's what I did. I sent a, an email out to the group, and I said, guys, here's, here's the thing. I've got an open Sunday. I want to wrap up this series of, of, of looking at the Psalms as, as, as tools for prayer. And I said, I want each of you, I'm inviting each of you in this prayer group, since you know the Psalms and have prayed them with me uh, for so many years, you are each invited to submit to me one, and I said, and only one, favorite Psalm that you would like me to preach on, again, on this theme of how do we use them as tools for prayer. Hit send on the email, and in doing so, let me just tell you right now, I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I sent out that email, because in very short order, the responses started uh, rolling in. And, and the first email I got back from one of the guys in this prayer group immediately broke my one man, one vote rule right off the bat, because he suggested, and I won't name names, but he suggested not one, not two, but three psalms from which I could preach. And I said, that's not the deal. I said, I, you get one, not three. But right off the bat, I could see we were running off the rails quickly. Uh, immediately after that, I got another couple more emails. Again, not naming names, but two of the other guys who responded suggested psalms I'd already preached on in the series. And I thought, well, what does that mean? That means, A, they weren't... Here's my conclusion. A, they weren't here. B, they were asleep. C, they thought I did such a rotten job that I needed a do-over. And, and so I had to sort of process through that. Another one loved this suggestion, not really, but he said, he suggested that why don't you just show up on Sunday morning and take one from the crowd. Just say, somebody call out a psalm and <laughs> preach on it. And uh, he said, because we want to see, Aaron, how much faith our pastor really has. And I said, no. <laughs> and it was all very interesting, and it was all, we have a lot of fun together on Friday morning, so it was all very much done in, in a spirit of fun. In fact, my only disappointment is nobody tried to sway me with donuts outside my office door because I would have gone that direction, whoever, uh, immediately. But after pondering the evidence and, and praying it all over, I settled on where we are this morning, which is in Psalm 119. Actually, two of the guys suggested it. One said he was suggesting it just because he wanted to see me preach on 176 verses in one sermon. <laughs> and the other, and, and I will name names here because I said I'd give credit to the winning submission, Stuart Galloway said, why don't you go to Psalm 119 and just give us a sample uh, of this incredible, magnificent uh, psalm in God's word. And I'll explain how we're going to go about that in just a minute. But before we do, you know that, that whenever we look at God's word, context, at least to me, is, is, is so important. Understanding not just the, the specific verses we're going to look at, but, but where they come from and why they're here and what's going on around it. And, and so I want to take, just before we read the text uh, in just a minute, just a, a moment to give you a few insights about this psalm. Not just because it's trivia and information, but because it will, in fact, come in handy uh, near the end of the sermon before we close this morning. So a couple of things about Psalm 119 that, that you may want to know that you may find interesting. The first of which is if you've got your Bible open, you can see it's a very, very long chapter. In fact, it is the longest of the Psalms. It's the longest of the 150. In fact, it's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. Uh, as I thought about it, it's actually longer, just this one chapter of Scripture, than many of the books in the Old Testament, uh, many of the letters in the New Testament as well. So it's a massive undertaking, a, a massive passage of praise and worship in God's Word. But but behind that sort of just the, the, the sheer volume or the size of the passage, there's some amazing stuff going on. Because whoever wrote it, and we don't know who did, wrote it specifically, and again, this may interest some of you more than others, but, but, but hang on, it's going to come in handy later. It's actually written in a, with a very specific and very thoughtful form. It's actually written in the form of an acrostic. 
And, and what that means is this, the, the 176 verses of Psalm 119, and you can see this if you look at the pages of your Bible, if it's open before you, are actually divided into 22 sections of eight verses each. And the reason it's divided into 22 sections is because in the Old Testament times, there were 22 letters in the ancient Hebrew alphabet. And what the psalmist did in this psalm is he wrote a section corresponding to each of those letters. That's why if you look right above verse 1, uh, uh, at the beginning of Psalm 119, it says Aleph. That's the, the first letter of the ancient Hebrew alphabet, our equivalent, I would assume, of, of the letter A. I don't know Hebrew. But then the interesting thing is then every verse in that section begins with that letter in ancient Hebrew. You come to the second section, beginning in verse 9, you have the Hebrew letter Beth, or the equivalent of our B, I would assume. Every verse in that section in ancient Hebrew begins with that letter, and so on and so forth, down through this psalm. So it's complex, it's dynamic, and you know, as I thought about that, I thought it gives a whole new dimension and depth of meaning to what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, when he said, all scripture is breathed by God. All scripture is inspired inspired by God, not just the words themselves, but even the composition. We have a creative, dynamic, beautiful God, and his word in many ways reflects those things about him. But you know, the common thread, and this is where we're going with all of this, that, that binds it all together, that makes Psalm 119 not just 22 little sections, but one cohesive whole, is that from start to finish, what Psalm 119 does is it celebrates the infinitely powerful, the indescribably dynamic, life-changing word of God. It is a celebration from verse 1 to verse 176 of the power and the beauty and the life-changing nature of this book we call the Bible. That it really is different, as we sang a little earlier, than any other book or scripture that's ever been written. And, and, and while, as I said a moment ago, we don't know who wrote it, we don't know when it was written, we don't know the circumstances that inspired it, what is very, very clear is that it was written not about God, but it was written to God in the form of a prayer. You'll see that as we go through it. It is very much written, all this beautiful celebration of the scripture is written as a prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving and celebration to God. And it's clearly, and you're about to see this as we read it, clearly written by someone who knew, who was experienced in the habit, the discipline, if you will, of praying to God out of his word, of using the scriptures as a catalyst for cultivating and conversing with God in every season of life. And, and as I said, we don't obviously have time to study it all. I want to look at just one section. It's one of my favorites of the, the 22 different parts. It's the second one that begins in verse 9. It goes down through verse 16. And so if you have your Bible open, I want you to look there with me, uh, at it with me now. So we read God's word, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, where this is what the scripture says asks a question, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Don't let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard all your ways. I shall delight in your statutes, and I shall not forget your word. 
Now, as we've been working our way, and again, if you're jumping in for the first time today, I apologize. I realize you're playing a little bit of catch up with us here, but I think you'll be able to catch up very quickly. But as we have, those of us who've been here most of the last couple of months uh, have have seen, and hopefully you have picked up on, we've spent much of the last few months in the Psalms encountering instruction on prayer. God's word giving us the how-tos, how to converse with God from his word, how to do it whatever season of life you're in, a season of joy or a season of hate or or all the other things that we've looked at, how to pray for our families and, and all the rest. We have received much so far in the way of instruction prayerful conversation with God. And so I just want you to know right up front or or before we go any further, you're not going to get a lot of instruction here today. That task is largely, at least for now, complete. Instead, what I want to show you, and this is why I'm now convinced more than ever, this is a phenomenal way to, to sort of bring this series to a close, is what we have here in Psalm 119 is a fantastic illustration Not nearly so much instruction as it is an illustration of a life and of a heart that has been transformed through the practice, through the habit of word-based, scripture-fed prayer. Praying by giving God the first word and responding to what he says to us in it. It's an illustration of a a heart that's been changed by praying through the scriptures. And so what I want to do, and and I promise I'm going to try to do this quickly, is in the time we have left, show you four of the rich benefits of word-based prayer. Four of the very rich benefits of giving God the first word, opening your Bible, seeing what it says, and then prayer is our response back to him, as we've been talking about all along. Again, not instruction, illustration. Here's the difference it makes. The first of those four benefits that that it gives us, and there's just four here, there's many more obviously in the rest of the psalm is this, is that when we enter into the habit of praying, conversing with God in his own words, one of the things it does for us according to verses 9 and 10 is it positions or it sets us on a path toward holiness. It puts us on the path, it points us in the direction of personal purity and holiness. You you don't need me to tell you that our generation is not the first to struggle with moral purity. Our generation is not the first to struggle and struggle mightily with sexual purity. Uh, The fact of the matter is we just simply in our generation have more ways to be corrupted, more ways to to be and to go, be led and to go astray in in this particular area of the purity of our, our lives and our hearts. But you know, what's so fantastic about verses 9 and 10 uh, in, in terms of that battle, and it is a battle, for purity and, and for holiness and for righteousness in our lives. What's so fantastic about verses 9 and 10 is that they declare to us that a walk with Christ that's headed in the direction of holiness, a walk with Christ that is marked by a growing, deepening life of purity is not simply a life that is rooted or established on a list of rules. Don't go here. Don't go there. Don't look at that. Don't read that. Don't watch that. I won't do this. I won't do that. Listen, don't misunderstand. Boundaries are vital. And God's word calls us to clear boundaries, particularly in this area, as much as or more than any other. That we need to know what the boundaries are, that where the line is that moves from from living for Christ to uh, to walking in sin. Vital, uh, those sort of boundaries, as I said, are vital. But if you think about it, no truly life-giving relationship, no joy-giving dynamic relationship in any respect in life is simply premised or built on a list of rules, right? You don't do this, I won't do that, we'll have a great time together, right? That's 
That's not how healthy relationships are. That's called a contract. That's not a rela- necessarily a life-giving relationship. And in the spiritual realm, what it's called is sin management. I will manage my sin the best I can in my own effort, by my own grit, with my own strength. But what does verses 9 and 10 say? Well, they, they, they take that and, and, and they send us, or they add something very powerful to it. Because the message of verses 9 and 10 is that the path toward personal holiness, the path toward a life of, of purity in Christ, is established in a personal relationship with the living God that is rooted and established and nurtured through prayer. Word-based, scripture-fed prayer. Look at what it says. Look at the question. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can an old man keep his way pure? How can anyone keep their way pure is the question. He answers it for us. By keeping it according to your prayer, right? Word. Here the Hebrew term for word means the things that God has said. Okay, so if God is speaking, what am I supposed to be doing? Listening, it's called a relationship, communication, right? Conversation. By listening to the things you say. Where does God speak to us? In his what? In his word. How can I keep my way pure? By spending a lot of time in the words and and the instruction and, and the revelation you've given to me in the scriptures. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you, so don't let me wander from your commandments. Really, verses 9 and 10, the the principle or the idea here is very, very simple. God speaks to us in his word. We respond to him in prayer. A personal conversation, a relationship begins to unfold. And I'm not saying it. The psalm is saying it, is that's the way to keep your way pure. That's the way to, to get pointed in the direction of holiness in a corrupt, corrupt world. How's it happen? It happens through prayer. It's a huge, it's, it's at the very heart of, of the relationship. And so the first rich benefit of word-based prayer, of scripture-fed prayer, is it positions us for purity. It sends us in the direction of holiness. Not only that, there's a second thing it says in verses 11 and 12. This is the second thing that when God's word is what's feeding and nurturing our prayer life, when we give him the first word and we respond to it, it instills within us, it gives to us a hunger for deeper intimacy with God. It gives us, it instills a hunger for deeper intimacy. Look again at verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know what? Let me tell you what that verse doesn't say. Your word I have read with my eyes. Your word I have heard with my ears. Your word I committed to memory through a disciplined scripture memorization program. Again, all that stuff's important. It's vital. We are to read God's word. We are to hear God's word. We are to hide God's word in our heart. But that's not what the psalmist says is the be all and end all, the sum total of of intimacy with God. No, what does he say? He says, having read God's word, seen it with your eyes, having heard it with your ears, having perhaps even begun to to, to plant it in, in your mind, he says, your word I have treasured in my heart. Treasure, that's a different word, isn't it? What does that imply? That that implies I have slowed down. I didn't just read it. I I stopped and thought about what it said. I took time to remember. These aren't just ancient words written on modern pages. This is the living word of God. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce to the very depth of who I am 
on what's going on in my life. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying, having seen and heard and maybe memorized the things the Bible says, I have consciously taken time to savor them. To savor them. To absorb their full meaning and then apply them to my life. And guess what? Verse 12 shows us that when that's what we do, it doesn't just make us more biblically informed. It doesn't just make us smarter Christians. It doesn't just mean we're able to engage in discussion and participate in Bible study and and, and have a debate with those who might disagree or dispute with us. No, what verse 12 shows is it didn't just make the psalmist more biblically informed, but instead when we truly treasure the scriptures in our hearts, we will inevitably be drawn into a deeper intimacy with him. How do I know that? Because that's what it says. Look at verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. And then what does he cry? And blessed are you, O Lord. What, What I've experienced, what you've shown me, it doesn't make me dry and crusty and sour. It brings my soul alive. It's like where the Psalms say elsewhere, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because when you do, what do you find out? You want more. And he says, blessed are you, Lord, because what you have shown me has put something in my heart, a hunger for deeper intimacy. And you know what? It makes me want more. He says, then teach me your statutes. Give me more of what your word says. Speak to me through your word. Make me attentive that I might treasure it in my heart even further. The psalmist is showing us again by example, by illustration, that when we treasure the scriptures and we use them as as the starting point for our conversations with God. It draws us, it puts a craving, a hunger in us to know God, not just his word, but to know him even more. Benefit number one, it puts us, it positions us on the path toward holiness. A benefit number two, a a scripture-fed prayer life instills in us, deepens in us a hunger for, for deeper intimacy with God. Third, and this is right in keeping with what we just saw in verses 11 and 12, verses 13 and 14, say it instills in us or implants, it gives us an abundance of joy. A scripture-fed prayer life, using God's word as the starting point for our conversations with him in every season, puts within us This is God's promise, an abundance of joy. You know, one of the things I mentioned to you very early in this series, and I probably didn't come back to it as often as I I should have or would have liked to, is not just that the Psalms are perhaps the best and the most accessible place in Scripture to to converse with God, to begin the conversation, because they are, it's just 150 prayers, a wonderful place to begin. But one of the things that I mentioned early in the series, and, and I want to bring us back around to at the end, is the Psalms also make it very, very clear, with very few, maybe two or three Psalms being the exception, that every single one contains some sort of clue that these Psalms are designed not primarily for personal worship and prayer, but for corporate worship and prayer. We are to use the Psalms in our personal prayer lives, no doubt. But the the primary call of the scriptures and the primary practice of God's people in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, was to come together for worship, come together for prayer, and that that was the inspiration that sent me out to do more of it on my own. If you go through, there is a clue or a cue in almost every single psalm that it was meant to be prayed, meant to be sung, not by myself in a closet somewhere, but in a gathering of God's people. And and one of the incredible benefits of that, one of the incredible reasons why, and there are lots of them, is because, as I think the psalmist is suggesting here, the profound encouragement that comes when we hear our brothers and sisters praising Jesus. When we hear 
a brother or a sister in Christ, praising God for who he is, praising God for the things that he's done, praising him for an answered prayer, whether it's very, very simple or it's one they've been working through for years. Just to be in the presence of other believers. And you may not be where they are. You may be in that hard place, but what do you get? You can get the hope that, hey, someday God's going to come through. He's been faithful to them. He's been faithful to me. There's something about being in the company of God's people when we worship together that is profoundly, deeply encouraging and has to be shared. And maybe somewhat ironically, those of you who are hardcore sports fans, you can understand this better than anybody. Because even if you're the kind of person who likes to watch the big game alone, you watch the Super Bowl by yourself because you're afraid you're going to say something to offend somebody else along the way or something you have to apologize for. Even if you're the kind of person who likes to watch the Super Bowl alone, when your team wins it, and I know I just marginalized a whole bunch of you, and I'm sorry, <laughs> but you can try to imagine what it's like. I'll tell you after church. <laughs> but even if you're watching something like that alone, and it goes your way, the outcome is what you wanted, and you're by yourself, after the final gun sounds and the confetti falls, what do you want to do? You want to tell somebody, right? You want to pick up the phone, and you want to call your dad or your brother or your neighbor or your coworker, or you want to say, I know Downton Abbey's on, honey, but get in here. Something more important just happened. <laughs> I have joy in my heart, and I know it's fleeting and temporary and entirely worldly, but it's joy, and it has to be shared. And the psalmist is saying, how much more? How much more the reality and the truth of who God is and what he's like? Look at verses 13 and 14. With my lips I have told out loud, right? With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. And I've rejoiced out loud in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. In other words, Lord, when I converse with you, in the context of your word, and, and in the company of your people, when I enter into, when I engage in scripture-fed prayer that celebrates who God is and what he's like, sooner or later, the joy within me, it can't be kept in mind. i got to share it with somebody else. Do you know what our God is like? Do you know what he did? Do you know what it says here about him? And we share it with others. It's one of the rich benefits of of making sure that our conversations with God are rooted in and centered and grounded in his word. And then there's one more thing, verses 15 and 16. And again, this is just a sample. There's 21 other sections like this in this very same psalm. But at least for our purposes this morning, a final rich benefit of scripture-fed prayer, word-based prayer, is, is that it is really the very foundation, the very centerpiece of a maturing, enduring faith in Jesus Christ. A maturing enduring faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to do something just kind of in the quietness of your own mind and heart for a minute. I want you to think about somebody, if you're a believer here this morning, maybe someone in your life now, maybe someone in your life in the past who you would look at and say, man, they've got a close walk with Jesus. They're a mature, a maturing. They might not admit it themselves because of humility or whatever else, but that's somebody, man, they, they know what it means to walk with Jesus. They know Jesus well. I just want you to think of somebody's face, somebody's name in your life who's like that. Now, let me ask you a question. How'd that happen? How'd they get there to that point? You know what it, how it didn't happen? It didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen on the fly. Five minutes of reading the Bible a couple of times a week and a hurried prayer on my way out the door because I've got really big important things to do today. It didn't happen that way. 
Because that's not how a maturing, enduring walk with Jesus happens for anybody. Now, I would suggest to you that if it happened at all, and probably did so over a span of many years, not marked by perfection, not marked by unbroken consistency, but regular, repeated, focused time spent reading God's word and responding in prayer, which is exactly how the psalmist finishes this section. I will meditate on your precepts and regard. That means I will listen attentively and respond in obedience to your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You know what kind of terminology is used there? You know what kind of words the psalmist is using? Slow words. Everybody say slow words. You say it like me if you want to. That's great. Slow words. Right? I will meditate on your precepts. Means I'll think about them. I will regard your statutes, your ways. I will delight. That's intentional in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That takes effort. Those are measured words, slow words. They're expressing anything but hurry. And, and that shouldn't surprise us at all, because isn't that how every meaningful, dynamic relationship you have in life develops? Slowly, over time, repeated conversation, ever, ever peeling back the layers just a little bit deeper to get to know each other better. That takes time. But it's worth it every time when we do and it really leaves me more convinced than ever. That fact alone leaves me more convinced than, than, than ever that, that truly the very best way to converse with God is in his own words, with an open Bible. Let him speak first and I'll answer back. I think it's what he calls us to do. And that's why before we close, I want to do one thing. I said I wasn't going to give you any instruction, or at least not much instruction today. I am going to give you a challenge because again, and, and we talk about this all the time, it's one thing to hear the word, it's another to do it, and the Bible calls us to do it, right? To practice what we preach or what we hear. That's what that word regard means. I'll regard your ways. I'll listen to what God says, not what the preacher says, what God says, and then I'll respond to it accordingly. So here's what I want to do. I want to issue you, I made it all up myself this week, but I think it'll work and hopefully you'll like it. I'm calling it the Psalm 119 Prayer Challenge, all right? I want to issue to each of you this morning the Psalm 119 prayer challenge. You've heard of the 21-day fix, right? You heard of the 30-day food challenge, a 60-day diet, whatever else. This is like that, but it's better, all right? I just made it up, but it's better because it's God's word. And, and here's the deal. Here's what I, I don't want to ask you. I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you that for the next month, you take this passage of Scripture again. We looked at one part of it. You look at this psalm, Psalm 119, and use the 22 sections of Psalm 119 for 22 days of Scripture-fed prayer. Just open it up and spend time. And hey, 22 is cool, and it's May 1st, great time to start, all right? 22 days in a 31-day month, that means you can miss like six, seven, eight times and still finish, all right? I'm making this easy and accessible. But sometime over the course of the next month, one at a time, one day at a time, 22 days of scripture-fed prayer. And what I want you to do, or want to challenge you to do, and I'm going to do it too, is on each day read just one of these eight-verse sections. Again, they're very clear in your Bible. They're already broken out. Read it. Then you know what you should do? Read it again. And then read it again. 
and then think about what it says. What is it saying about God, about, about his word? What does it say? And then, here's, I got, and then you say, well, how do, I, how do I turn that into a prayer? I'm going to give you four questions. I'm going to give it to you fast because we're out of time. But they're on the screen so you can write them down. And if you come to Fresh Encounter, this is what we do every time at Fresh Encounter. So you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you should come. And then you'll know. Read it. Ponder it. And then take these four questions and turn them into starting points for prayer. Number one, what does this passage say about God? Because we always begin with worship. What does it say to me about who God is, about what he's like? For example, this is not hard. Look at verse 12. It says, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. You know what that says to me? God's a teacher. Lord, thank you. You know how I can turn that into a praise? I say, Lord, thank you that you didn't just save me, but you want to teach me. You want a relationship with me where you show me the way to go and how to walk. You care about me. That's what it says. Thank you that you are a God who desires to teach me. What does it say about God? Question number two, what does it call me to confess? What does what I just read here call me to confess or to surrender? Is there something in my life that needs to go that I need to let go of? Again, this section, it's right there in verse one. How can a young man keep his way pure? Lord, is there any respect in which I'm not walking with you in purity? Father, I know there's a way in which I've not been walking with you, and I confess it today. I hand it back to you, and I ask for your cleansing and your forgiveness and your grace. Third, what does it prompt me to pray about? A lot of times we come to God with our list. He's got a different list he wants us to pray about. Do you know that? Sometimes he wants you to pray about something you haven't even thought about yet. And, and, and the word can often show us that. For instance, I was looking at this one, and, and verse 13 says, With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I am teaching your word, sharing your truth with others. And you know what that reminded me? I'm a dad who's supposed to be teaching God's word to my kids. And oh God, do I need help with that. And you do too. God, help me today with my daughter, my sons, my wife, those around me, to teach them what it means to walk with you. Help me. It's a request. And then finally, what hope does it offer me for the day ahead? What hope does what I just read offer for the day ahead? Verse 14, here's another, this is just an example. I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. There's a promise there. You might not see it the first time, so we think about it. You know what the promise is? Those who walk in obedience to God's word know everything doesn't work out that way. No, they don't always get their requests answered the way they want it, but there's a promise of joy. Lord, I'm going to cling to the promise today that even if nothing goes my way, that by walking with you and honoring you and seeking you, you will put joy in my heart anyway. I'm going to hold on to that promise, Lord, today. In other words, I'm saying turn your quiet time, your personal devotions into a prayerful conversation. Approach it not as a task to complete, but a relationship to embrace. Because God wants to speak to us in his word. And, and this psalm was clearly written by someone who'd gotten into God's word, not to make themselves smarter and better informed and figure out their theology, although that came with it. But by someone who, by spending prayerful time in them, came away with a radically transformed heart. A changed heart. And that's why the big idea this morning is that essentially the same big idea we've had for this entire series, or one of them. The big idea of the message, and as we bring all this to a close, is let the word lead the conversation. Let God's word lead the conversation. Make time for God's spirit to apply God's word to your heart. Make time to listen to him. From his word, respond in prayer. It's what he desires, that relationship to be all about. Father, take the things this morning spoken 
shared here, even pondered in our own hearts that are of truth, that are consistent and in keeping with your heart and seal them to ours. And Father, take the things that are distracting and irrelevant and even wrong, and just let them be forgotten, let them pass away so that we leave seeing, savoring, treasuring, worshiping only Jesus, only Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.